0: That's Marketplace.Walmart.com slash savings.
1: Welcome to E-Commerce Conversations, a podcast by Practical E-Commerce. This is Kerry Murdoch with Practical E-Commerce. It's been an eventful year for Meva. Its longtime president became CEO, and the company raised $18 million of private equity which was the first such investment in its 20-year history. Rick Wilson is the former president, who is now CEO, and he joins me to discuss Miva, independent e-commerce, and the impact of Amazon.
0: Well, Rick, thank you for your time today. Uh, thanks for having me, Kerry. Always a pleasure.
1: We've been looking forward to visiting with you. We We've enjoyed following Miva over the years, of course, and a lot of the changes and improvements that you've made to the to the company have been exciting. This has been a big year for you, I know, 2017. Could you bring us up to date on on the status of the company, ownership, product offerings, company growth, that sort of thing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, it has been an exciting year, a lot of changes. Um, probably the, the big change you're referring to is, I officially took over the company as CEO back in uh, April, and um, I had been running the company on a day-to-day basis for a number of years, um, but it's been about six years, I think, since we did one of these interviews, and um, and we, uh, for the first, uh, you know, as you know, Russ and myself, Russ Carroll and myself, um, purchased the company from what was Find What or Meva back in 2007, so it's been 10 years, and for the first 10 years of our ownership structure, we... For lack of a better term, we bootstrapped it, so we grew significantly. We grew from, you know, roughly a million dollars in revenue back in 2007 uh, in annual revenue to um, to into the mid-teens now, and um, we're still privately held. But we took our 18 million dollar round of growth equity this year from a private equity firm, and that was part of the change that um, me taking over CEO. Really, that that was. Um, that was the change in ownership. Um, the, the employees are still the majority owner, which is, was really important to us in any deal. That was a, um, that was a critical function of how we architected it. Um, we, we, f- we feel that we have a strong sense of where we wanna take our company, and that our company has a unique view of both the market and how we serve the market. And we didn't wanna lose that by losing control to, essentially, even though we really like our private equity partners, they're still outsiders compared to our perspective on the market. And we wanted to make sure we protected that. So the employees are still owners. Um, Russ and myself are still the two largest independent owners. And, um, you know, and and the company has grown significantly. Like I said, you know, 15 X revenue growth in more than 15 X revenue growth in the last 10 years. Um, and, And it's been a wild ride. We have shifted a little bit as far as product. We, we, um, We've moved up market now. Up market is a relative term, right? So, I would say we've—I would say—ten years ago, people saw us as an SMB-only platform, and we've really shifted to what I consider the mid-market for e-commerce. So, people doing hundreds of thousands minimum to usually a million dollars or more per year. Someone doing a million to fifty to hundred online is perfect for us. If you're doing ten thousand a year online, we're probably too complex for you. If you're doing a billion a year online, well I'm really intrigued by that We're, we're not quite mature enough for you um, and so that's how we view the world
1: So the owners employees, Russ and yourself with those with those three three groups of employees, if I could use that term, do you control the company the three of you
0: yes, we do so we, we still are the majority owners of the company.
1: How many employees no.
0: I think we're you – know, th- this is a moving target, but we're roughly at 125, most of them here in San Diego. Uh, we also have an office in Tampa and that has about 25 people in it.
1: So the product offerings are – are all the product offerings SaaS offerings these days? Do you do you, do you offer a licensed product? Or?
0: We do offer a licensed product. So, you know, our core architecture hasn't changed. We, I should say our core architecture model hasn't changed. The product changes all the time. But – We still believe that having a product that can be distributed and be on premise if needed is an important distinguishing factor. So we offer what we consider a hybrid SaaS. So we have a SaaS hosting architecture. It's very similar to most SaaS hosting architectures. It runs on all the standard stuff behind the scenes, VMware enterprise, EMC, Cisco blades, the the kind of things you'd see in a typical private cloud. And then we've built a middleware layer um, internally. So if you host with us, which 99% of our customers do, then you get that SaaS middleware layer that handles all your provisioning and your billing and, and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, whether your installation is here at Miva or your installation is on your own servers or you choose to put it on on a hosting company of your choice, fundamentally, those installations are all your own single personal installation of Miva. And we feel, for especially for the type of customers we're aimed at, that provides a unique selling advantage.
1: Do you still support it? If a customer puts the software on their own computer,
0: yeah. The only difference—the only difference in support there—is if it's a hosting problem, right? So if you go choose to put it at, um, I'll make up a hosting company. Pretend hosting company X. If you go choose to pretend hosting company X, and you're having a hosting problem, there's a limit to how much we can help you. We will—we will do everything in our power to make sure it works just as well for you elsewhere as it does here. Um, but there are some limits when we're not the host.
1: Say I'm one of those uh, mid-market companies in the range of revenue that you referred to earlier. What do I pay per month for if I'm on your SaaS on your platform? And of course, it's the SaaS platform. What do I pay per month for your for your platform?
0: So it it varies depending on a lot of things. So our 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 pricing is based on revenue tiers. So for our smaller customers, it's pretty static. If you're under a hundred grand a year, you're going to pay eighty dollars a month. If you're 100 grand to 500 grand, you're going to pay roughly 250 bucks a month. Um, if you're 500 grand and up, the price becomes more negotiable. Uh, loosely speaking, you're going to pay anywhere from, uh, if you're between a million and 10 million, you're going to pay anywhere from 1500 a month to 5000 a month, depending on your usage. And if you're primarily B2C versus B2B, those things have different resource requirements on our side. Um, but what we do is we put people into revenue buckets. Uh, and then for our enterprise clients, our mid-market clients who are doing north of a million a year, we do we, we essentially work with them to come up with pricing that works for us and works for them.
1: Let's switch gears for a sec to your investors, your private equity investors. Who are they?
0: So it's a company called Bison. Um, we call them Bison. Their, their full name is uh, – I'd have to look it up. But they're, they're a private equity firm out of Los Angeles. They also have offices in New York. Um, they have a interesting model in the world of private equity, so private equity is usually known for coming in and buying majority or total ownership of a company, uh, that has an interesting market presence and they're often known. This isn't obviously universal, but private equity is often known for, you know, squeezing all the money out of the orange. the other thing they're known for though is sometimes they'll scale a company really big to get it public and then that's how they get their return. But there's a few different pretty standard private equity playbooks. And when we were looking at when we were looking at taking around, I personally didn't think we would find a private equity partner that we were comfortable with because none of those playbooks fit with our vision for the company. And what made Bison unique is Bison invests very specifically and very often in owner-operated companies where the owners are still really bullish about the future. And so um, that was our situation. The fact that that I personally um, was as bullish as I was about both e-commerce and Miva's future and that um, they would allow us to create a structure where we had majority control as the owners, that was the things that really drew us to them. And it took us about, I guess it was a little over a year from our first meeting to when we closed the deal. And, you know, I, I I probably slow walked it more than I had to, but it was really important to me. Picking an investment partner is like picking up a, a spouse. And it was really important to me to pick someone that I felt we could work with for the long run. And
1: the and the amount was eighteen million if I yeah,
0: yeah the amount was eighteen million. Yeah.
1: What will the proceeds be used for? What are you doing with the money?
0: Um, so a couple things. So it allowed it allowed us to take some of the existing shareholders and sell some of their stock. No one sold all their stock, but it allowed them to sell some of their stock. And then the rest of it is going to be used for growth. You know, as you probably are aware, while well, Miva is a pioneering e-commerce platform that's been around for 20 years, actually, uh, next month. So it's almost our birth. Yeah, I, I think we registered the name Miva on October 17th, uh, 1997. So I'll have to look that up. Um, <laughs> so- Congratulations. Thanks. And so, uh, so, but as you know, we have, while we, while we've been really well known and pioneering, especially for people who've been in e-commerce for a long time, we have traditionally issued marketing, um, paid marketing, right? So we have not done a lot of go out, buy a lot of marketing, buy a lot of awareness. Um, we haven't done a lot of PPC. We don't rank number one in SEO. Um, people, we've often been called the best kept secret in e-commerce, And so the money is going to be used to change that. Uh, While I'm always flattered when people say that to me, it also makes me cringe a little bit. And so the money is used to shift that. That doesn't mean we're going to go, you know, we're not following anyone else's playbook. We're not going to go pour $18 million down, you know, down Google's throat just to see what happens. But we are, we are definitely taking a far more proactive stance on sales and marketing. Now, we feel that for the companies who fit our profile, um, you know, we're doing a disservice to them if they don't know we exist.
1: Makes sense. When I saw the release uh, a few months ago, when was the deal completed? By the way, was it in the spring or
0: April? Yeah, it was in April. I think yeah. April twenty sixth. Okay.
1: Yeah. When I saw the release, I I have to tell you, I was excited from this respect. First of all, I was excited for me but excited for you. Uh, well deserved success. That's number one. Number two is the rise of Amazon has so much of the market from our perspective. So much, so much of the market. Uh, almost scared, if, if I could use that word. And here is an independent e-commerce platform, a platform that's very well-known, Miva, and you've just raised $18 million, and it struck me as a terrific vote of confidence for the future for independent e-commerce. Is that a fair way to look at that?
0: That is. And I also think that the fear that you're talking about in the world of e-commerce is, is real and is palatable. I mean, um, the keynote I gave at MivaCon last March was all about the the sort of pending war between Amazon and everyone else, um, and you know, as a customer and a consumer, I use Amazon routinely, not for everything, and I and I try to be conscious of when am I defaulting to Amazon, and I could be supporting someone else. That's a we can do a different interview about that a different time. The in the age of Amazon, here's what I think's really critically happened. Amazon ha- is currently the best, most efficient way online to buy a commodity product. And they have done a very good job of becoming the search engine of choice for e-commerce. So there's a lot of of nuance to that. But what that means is back in the day, in the early days of e-commerce, there were a lot of people who made their living and very successful livings by having a good distribution relationship with a manufacturer or an OEM and being okay at SEO or good at SEO. Um, And then a number of things have happened, especially over the last decade. First of all, Google has changed SEO with Penguin and Panda and all the other things. SEO is no longer what it was. And getting to the top of Google in those cases um, where people from, I would say, from 1997 through 2010, there were certain people who just knew how to be at the top of Google and part of it was they had historically been there and they were able to leverage sort of a middleman position. That leverage is gone and we have seen... You know, I've seen some, some people I had a great affinity for who had, who had great businesses during that time I outlined you know, suffer or lose their business because they were, at the end of the day, a middleman, and Amazon has crushed that. Um, and, and Google, I think, inadvertently crushed it too. I don't think Google set out to crush it, but I think Google, in their quest to provide the best information and the best, most relevant results, combined with uh, Amazon's dominance and logistics – really took out any room for a distributor middleman to come in and play. And so what we see now is we see a world in which um, the things that are working really well are brands that are going direct. So if you're a brand and people want your product and you're in control of that product, today is a great day to be in e-commerce. And it's a great day to, to partner with and compete against Amazon, right? So sell through Amazon, build your brand, and have your own independent website. I think Amazon has some inherent weaknesses that will be hard for them to ever change because of the nature of what they've built. They have so many SKUs. Go to a a typical Amazon product page. They're not that great. Amazon is not the kind of place I want to browse to learn about products. Amazon is a really great place if I know the product I want to buy and all I either want to do is buy it and get it here in the next two days because I'm a Prime member or if I want to read the reviews and make a decision. So Amazon is really great for those things. But Amazon falls apart if you have to educate a client from scratch about a product. And I think that's where brands, B2B, uh, complex B2C, have a real leg up in the, world of, in, in, the, in the world today against Amazon.
1: So are you aware of instances of pure play retailers that are middlemen that have, in the way that you described it, they don't, they don't manufacture their products. They buy them from the manufacturer. Are you aware of, of examples of those companies growing and continuing to excel in terms of attracting traffic to their own site?
0: So we do see some, and we see some people, and sometimes it's because they're in a specific niche, and maybe they're known as an expert in that niche. So if you can combine that with being an information marketer or being well-known for some other reason, um, then we see that working. Um, if you, There are also just some niches that I think are going to be mostly off-limit to Amazon. I don't see Amazon uh, going down that path in, in say, gun accessories or, or definitely not in guns themselves, right? And so there are, certain, there are certain verticals where I think you're safe from Amazon. But I really do think you have to have something that makes you unique. It can't just be SEO and distribution. Now, it can be exclusive distribution because then you're, that's no different than being the manufacturer. Um, but I think you need to combine it with some sort of expertise and public awareness of why you're the expert.
1: Does Miva integrate, if I could use that term, integrate with Amazon? So your clients that use your platform for their site, do you have an easy method for them to put those products on, on Amazon?
0: Yeah, we do. Actually, it's been, gosh, I think it's I think we've had that for about three years now. And we support Amazon, eBay, we support Amazon worldwide, eBay worldwide, Etsy, and Google shopping natively. You know, and there's things like Channel Advisor and other products out there that'll support 30, 40 marketplaces, and those things have a place in the world for sure. What we found is that those four marketplaces really dominate the percentage of e-commerce sales that are not on an independent site. So we support those natively and let people connect them and use meBA as their tool to manage both their personal website as well as their inventory on those platforms.
1: You mentioned earlier about your shift to, if I could use that word, I I think you said shift to more of an enterprise-type client. That will be your focus going forward, uh, more enterprise uh, versus the smaller company, just to to confirm.
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's, again, in all those cases, I'd like to say there's a lot of nuance, and so here's what I mean by that. If you're, if you're a small customer, let's say you're not selling anything online at all today and you've invented a new product. So you've got a new workout product. Um, it's going to uh, it'll let you put some weights in your clothes so you burn more calories, right? And you're going to sell 10 different SKUs and you've never sold online before and you don't know HTML. Um, there are, frankly, just easier solutions than Miva to get you up and running. Now, you could use Miva for that and if you know HTML at all, Miva might be the best solution. But if you don't, there are I could rattle off five or six of our competitors um, on the low end SMB end who would make that a lot easier for someone who's never touched HTML before. Um, now we still support those customers and we support those customers specifically with our pricing model. So for those customers, you know, if they get some traction and they realize they want more features, like saying connecting to eBay and Amazon, and they want real-time shipping rates and they want some of the things that the other platforms charge a premium for, they can get all those things at a um, at you know, with Miva. So we're not leaving that market. But our focus is people who are one of two things. Either have already reached a threshold of, you know, half a million to a million in online sales a year. Or if they don't have any e-commerce experience, we're looking for a business that's already a multi-million dollar business that's expanding to e-commerce. And especially in the world of B2B, that's more common than you might realize. Not everyone is online yet. For people like you and I who live in e-commerce, it seems like everyone in the world's online and yes virtually everyone has at least a website now but there's still a lot of business-to-business manufacturers who don't really have a true e-commerce presence so they may have zero or almost zero in online sales but we would still count them as an enterprise-style client so that's who we're focused
1: on you've been involved in e-commerce we just you referred to miva's founding uh you've been involved in e-commerce one way or the other since 1997 20 years uh looking looking down the road Five or ten years. What does, what does retailing—not just e-commerce, but what does retailing look like in the U.S.?
0: You know, I, I think you see, I think you see hints of it already. You know, if you uh, if you go to one of the Amazon stores or if you've shopped at Apple, um, you can definitely see hints. Your your current consumer no longer sees the difference between e-commerce and commerce. And I know that's kind of cliche to say, but it's true. Um, if I needed to pick up something from Apple today, if I needed something from Apple today, in fact, this actually happened a few weeks ago. I, uh, we were having a company party and we needed to play some music and my old iPod was broken and I wanted an iPod touch that so we could play music out at the party. And I went to my Apple app. Uh, I ordered an iPod touch and then Postmates delivered it to my house an hour later. Um, that's not, currently the use case for most independent retailers but in 10 years that will be those things will be ubiquitous those things will not be unique to the high-end stores and that's been a perspective we've always held follow the very large merchants and see what's see what makes your life easier when shopping from them and then go out five to ten years and those things will become standard for your average merchant and i also think that even though Amazon is really dominant in the commodity products, I think today is the golden age for people to start new businesses and build a brand uh, from nothing. I mean, think about, you know, take the mattress space, and I know a lot of these guys are venture backed, but take the mattress space and think about how all these new mattress companies—they're using new logistics and shipping methods to deliver these foam mattresses. Companies like Casper, and I know there's a bunch of them, and I don't have a, I don't have none of those are clients, and I don't have a horse in any of those races. But think about all these new, new upstarts in, in products like things like mattresses that th- their business models weren't even conceivable five or 10 years ago. And I think you'll see a lot more unique applications of our technology over the next five or 10 years based on some of the things you can see today from the large players.
1: Rick, you're now the CEO of MIVA. You've just raised $18 million. What, tell me about the future of MIVA what, in terms of acquisitions, IPO on the horizon. What are, you, what, what are you looking at down the road for Miva?
0: So, you know, things like acquisitions we're always open to. We've, we have made a few in the past. I think we've made three total, um, and there are some we're intrigued by. Um, $18 million isn't enough to go on a big shopping spree, but it's enough to at least give you some credence to go look at things. Um, IPO is similar. You know, we're not yet in a position where an IPO is in our short-range future, um, and you know, I, I'm of the mind that I don't think something like an IPO in and of itself is a worthwhile goal. My goal is to build a great place to work that my employees like and create a product that helps my customers succeed and compete with the likes of Amazon and whatnot. Um, and I think that our our ownership structure being more more uh, investment or things like an IPO will will be determined by our path. But as far as our path goes, our plans are really this. We think that we have a unique proposition that helps people in our special segment do complex things. We can take the most complex of e-commerce sites that routinely require either open source platforms that are essentially so customized they're almost a fork or very high-end, very expensive platforms. Uh, and we think we take both of those scenarios and we make them achievable and on a relative scale far more affordable to a mid-sized company that uh, and allows them to lean into their competitive advantage in the market. And so our goal is just to focus on that, you know, and we've for the last three years been voted best place to work in San Diego or one of the best places to work in San Diego. And that's a a crowning achievement from my perspective. We, one of the things I think about a lot is other than sleeping in time with your spouse or significant other, um, work is where you spend most of your time in life. That's just the norm. And so I would rather create a work and focus on creating a workplace that people are excited to go to every day. And so that's the future of me right now is to keep growing. And I expect us to, you know, go from 125 employees to 250 to 300 over the next three to five years. And uh, hopefully next time we do one of these interviews, I'll tell you that we have 300 employees and a new headquarters and all those kinds of things.
1: (laughs) And I look forward to that interview for sure. We have just another minute or two. Anything else on your mind?
0: You know, I think I just want to kind of wrap up on the Amazon thought. I I think it is a, I think Amazon is, Amazon's a big beast and we should, no one should discount the power of Amazon. But history tells us that entrepreneurs always end up thriving in the face of such behemoths. And so I think now is a great time for independent e-commerce to go head to head in a world uh, it may look different. You know, we shop more from our phones and we may shop from social media in the future or who knows? We may shop from our voice on our television. But while things will change, independent, fast-moving entrepreneurs tend to do very well against large behemoths. And the bigger Amazon gets, the more I think some of these opportunities become really clear for the people who are likely listening to this interview and uh, and gives them great opportunity for the future.
1: Okay. Well, for purposes of our listeners, I've been visiting with Rick Wilson. Rick is the CEO of Miva. That's the pioneering and very innovative platform. That's Meva.com. And Rick Wilson, we want to thank you for your time today, sir.
0: Thanks, Kerry. It's always great to speak with you.